0: Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Carademus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development and the first episode of 2021. I hope you're as excited about getting this new year underway as I am. Here at Pecunia Projects, we've got a lot on the boil at the moment. We've got a few projects going through construction. We've just finished building some compliance software. So we're looking at testing that with some select property developers, architects, and builders. And we've also got a few more episodes of this podcast in the pipeline. Speaking of the podcast, this month's episode is with someone who's had a considerable impact on my personal and professional development. Adam Hatto of SJB Architects in Sydney. Adam is one of four directors in the SJB Architects Sydney office. Not only is he an incredibly talented architect and urban designer, but along with his co-directors John Pradell, Nick Hatsy and Jonathan Knapp have over the past 20 or so years created a truly wonderful business. One that not only operates at the top of the Sydney architecture scene, but a business that is a pleasure to work in. I know of what I speak because I had the privilege of being part of SJB history from 2013 to 2018. I knew from very early on that SJB was a special place to work. Looking back, it was extremely intense, lots of energy, but also familiar, safe and unusually generous. It was that feeling of generosity that resonated with me and made me feel like I was part of something meaningful and special. What I didn't and couldn't comprehend at the time was where all this came from. Why did the business operate this way? Why did the directors choose to steer the the company in this manner? Looking through my lens as a business owner today and reflecting on Adam's approaches to business This episode has provided some really unique and relevant perspectives on business building. What I love most about this episode is not only Adam's thoughts on business, but the way in which they are conveyed through his stories and anecdotes. He's such a great storyteller. I feel very privileged to have been able to record and now share with you this very intimate and personal conversation with one of the people that I respect most in my personal and professional circles. Before we get into the episode, I'd like to let you know that similar to my conversation with Andre last month, this episode is broken up into three parts. Again, I am doing this to hopefully make the time commitment easier for you to manage. I should also let you know that we had a guest with us while recording this episode, Eric the Yorkie, Adam's lovable Yorkshire Terrier. So if you hear a few growls and barks, it's because we're a party of three. I am a huge dog lover myself, so I don't need much encouragement to include dogs in absolutely everything that I do in my life. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Adam Haddo. Alright, well, Adam, welcome and. Thank you so much for, for being with me today and for sharing your uh, stories and experiences. Pleasure, Harry. Pleasure always, anytime. <laughs> I guess what I'd like to do first is um, set the scene to put some context around yep. who you are and what you do. Also, the context around SJB and, yep. and what they do. I guess I'd like to start with where your, your interest in, in architecture comes from yep. and how you got involved in the profession.
1: Yeah, so I think pretty much it came, I mean, it came from my parents, i'm interested in architecture but i didn't really know what architecture was i mm. think at that stage my dad was a plumber but then became a school teacher and as school teacher he was like a metal sheepwork work um kind of construction teacher my mum when they first moved to ararat which is a small country town in victoria bought dad a piece of land for two thousand dollars mm. <laughs> which is where i lived for the next 20 years and dad and mum built a house and and essentially dad built the house so okay slowly over time to the point where the house was never really finished like it was always being you'd finish one thing and then you'd start renovating something else like it was very casual yeah. you would say they moved into the house with no there was no floor in the lounge room it was just dirt and you're like mm. it was, you know this is kind of crazy I don't know how my mum how they both put up with it to be honest you know they didn't have much money and they just they built the house and I and so I grew up, as a consequence of that we grew up on a building site pretty much and I think that was where it came from my, my dad's far my, my dad's quite technical quite handy whereas mum's quite creative and uh so i think possibly
0: there's meld melding together yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Together. and i just always wanted to be an architect there was no ever other thing that i wanted to do
0: so there's an appreciation of the uh, i guess the construction qualities versus design qualities and kind of, probably yeah i mean yeah. i think
1: i was I think it was far simpler than that i think i just liked making things yeah. and possibly because we grew up in the country you could make stuff like you could build things in the bush or in the shed or whatever so it was pretty um, it was pretty free and in that way you know you could experiment a bit as you're growing up and that ability to be able just to make your own way and do your own thing and not have to kind of you know, you, didn't, you never had to stop because you were annoying somebody or making too much noise or too late at night or anything. You just kept going because you're in the middle of nowhere. So there was, no, there was no kind of impact on you in a way in terms of doing that. There wasn't much else to do either. So you kind of had to focus on things you, you wanted to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so yeah. then I was at school and I said I'd kind of worked out what the term architect was. Like I had to ask Deb what it was. Then my uncle, who was a teacher in the next town or a couple of towns over, knew an architect. There was an architect in their town because there's no architect in our town. Mm. So uh, he didn't really, I didn't, I knew what the word was, but I didn't know what the job was really. Mm. And then my uncle Jim rang a friend, to, rang a friend, who rang a friend who knew the architect and then got me an intro and in year 10, I think. I went and did work experience in Shepparton and um, and then from then on it just was that's what i wanted to do so I, you know finished high school studied uh applied to go to university and i thought i would get i wasn't sure that i'd get in to be quite honest like i was like oh, a bit mm-hmm. hard and i applied for you know architecture at three schools so melbourne and rmot and Deakin, and then I was applied for music because I was a musician then as well. And then I think last time my list was nursing. I'm like, I've got to get into university <laughs> because I don't want to stay. At that point, I was like, I don't want to stay in a small rural country town. I need to get out. So I was just like, put something on here, which I'm pretty sure I'll get the most for because like, I got to I gotta get out. Anyway, I got into Melbourne University, which was good. Yeah, it was super fantastic. And then yeah, went to Melbourne Uni, studied there.
0: And then uh after your um, like university education, was that where at the point at which you started getting into or or a position at SJB? Yeah, or? so
1: when I studied, you had to do you had to do three years of university, a full year of work experience before you could then apply to go and do the last two years of architecture. And that's changed a little bit since now. So you had, you, you it was a kind of um, educational requirement to have done an academic year of work experience. So it was not exactly twelve months. And I I didn't know any architects. Like, I had no idea who they were to be quite... Like, honestly, I was so vague. And I had, was reading Architecture Australia and just saw some work and applied to about, you know, probably 30 offices. <laughs> Sent out letters, you know, as you do. I got an interview at SJB. And I honestly think it was in the middle of the recession in the 90s in Melbourne, which was like... It was the worst environment ever to be living in at that stage. Like, there was it was the, the state was really poor there was there was nothing going on it was pretty kind of horrendous and then I got an interview and I think the only reason I got the job at SJB was because the office manager was this Alan Simmons wife so at that stage the S and the J and the B so the Simmons Justin and Biale it was all of the husbands and the wives working in the office and so the husbands were architects and the wives ran the office so Helen was kind of communications and hr shirley was kind of i suppose quality assurance and systems Mm. i think you'd say and then leah was library and research and helen as the hr person in the office and it was because it was the recession the office had gone from i think from 30 people at its latest to like seven it was pretty dire and the last student's name was adam and he'd just gone back to Israel because he'd come from Israel for work experience. He'd gone back to Israel, and I think Helen literally thought, Oh, this guy looks all right. But his folio is fine, and his name's Adam, so I won't have to convince <laughs> Charles <laughs> Justin to remember another name.
0: <laughs> literally, I was like, So it's easy. I, just, yeah.
1: I honestly think she, she, she was like, This is just going to be easy for me. I don't have to get the partners to learn another person's name. But it was pretty, you know, it was full on. It was like at that stage. The award wage for architects was $2 an hour <laughs> as a graduate. You were $2 an hour. It was pretty horrendous.
0: So it's pretty easy to um... – oh, it would have been easy back then to have students.
1: <laughs> oh Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was $2 an hour and mm. I used to work at David Jones on the weekends because I was obviously not living at home, so I had to live. Um, so I lived – I lived in a cupboard in a house in Carlton with some friends. It was it was literally big enough just for a single bed and it had a skylight. That was it
0: in the room. Harry
1: Potter light. <laughs> it was Harry Potter. <laughs> it was at the top of the stairs, not the bottom of the stairs. And um, two dollars an hour at SJD and then I worked at David Jones on the weekend mm. selling handbags and I got paid more in a Saturday at david jones than i did in two weeks at sjb so SJB's pay, um my salary salary became
0: beer money <laughs> it was pretty funny it was work experience like it was kind of what was expected i suppose at the time so with your so you started as a student i guess maybe you can put some bones around your progression into you know moving through the ranks at sjb to the point at which now you're a yep or you became a director yep yes yeah, so how started, that happened
1: yes yeah, so i started as a student and uh, I didn't really think too much. I started as a student and it was fun. And I mean, there was only seven people in the office then, so eight people in the office. So you kind of had to do everything. It was they uh, SJB at that time were also the cor- corporate architects for BMW Australia. So the office car was a little BMW. <laughs> so uh, as the coming office, full circle, yeah, <laughs> exactly. As the office junior, you got to drive the BMW down to do the printing because you don't have to go to the printers. So that was quite fun. So anyway, there was something. A little bit romantic about it as an idea, and we are in South Melbourne. It was quite a, it's a really great place to be. Uh, I finished my year of work experience, and then I travelled for nine months or eight months. I went to Europe, spent a bit of time in Europe, and worked at the Hampshire County Council Architects Office, which is just south of London. Um, and there was a quite a famous British architect uh, who ran that county council architect's office and that was another bizarre convergence of events where i started work there i had been working in the hospital because i was just needed a job so i was working in the hospital cleaning dishes and a friend's father worked at the county council so he he ended up being able to get me an interview and i got an interview and i got a job and i started on you know monday morning and monday afternoon the guy who i was kind of put underneath so the count the, the, the county council architect's office was kind of like a normal office that did jobs predominantly for government and the director that i was sitting under uh, he got a phone call on the monday afternoon and then just walked out of the office and there was only four of us in this part of the office in a room just walked out i never saw him again ever saw him again and what had happened was the the they had been designing this school it was in the early days of cad so you'd get a survey drawing and you'd have to scale it to get it to be the right, you know, the difference between engineers, drawings and architect's drawings. Anyway, someone had scaled it incorrectly. So the site was actually, the site that they thought they had was actually 80, or 20% less than the site, than the drawing was, right? Yeah. So someone had scaled it up too much. And they were literally, they tended the job, they were on site. they were setting out the project. It was, a, it was, luckily it was a public school. And so there was lots of space, but they were trying to set, the builders trying to set out the building and there was all these trees in the way and there was an easement and a sewer line. And he's like, this is just, there's something wrong. So the, the this director went down and in essence, I think Hannah never spoke down, which was horrendous, but I never saw him again. So mm. I would end up working at the Hampshire County Architects Office. And there was me, there was the director who had, walked out and then two uh, I think draftees and me at that point in time in this part of the office anyway so then there was no one to design buildings so I started designing buildings so I designed like a couple of primary schools in yeah. Hampshire County Council office. office. anyway long story short did that uh, came back to Sydney to start my to finish my second degree, and during my second degree, I um, went back to work at SJB as a student. And I suppose when I finished my degree, I had some I had interviews. So I interviewed at you know a few other offices. I remember having an interview at Batesmart Smart. Actually, Philip Vivian I think interviewed me and got a few job offers. But I just was like, actually, I'm really. I enjoyed being an SJB, and just stayed, thought I'd stay and yep. see what happened and we were, I was kind of, one, I was obviously one of the youngest people in the office, so we were doing competitions and I was there for about two years in the Melbourne office just doing yep. projects and learning and overreaching, I'd say, you know, trying to do more than I possibly should have been doing, but nevertheless, and John Prudell, who's now a partner was a student, or well, was a graduate at the office at that stage, um, and you know, during funnily, during the economic downturn in Melbourne in the nineties, the office went back to three days a week. So you know, and then went back to four days a week. Back, then went back to five days a week. John, uh, which I think is kind of interesting in the context of today, John never went back to working full time in the office. Yeah. So he was only he was, he did five days in four. So he was he was this kind of enigma in the office who would come in at 4am and leave at 3pm because he lived out in um, Dandenong, which was Aves away. We were asked to do a few competitions and did those. And we won a, I want a job down in Port Melbourne for the Sheridan Group, uh, which we were working on. And then the Mel- John had moved to Sydney um, to set up the Sydney office. So John came up to work for Toga, who were a client of ours. And John became kind of a specialist in doing hotels and heritage adaptive reuse hotels. So he came into Sydney to do one of those and to set up the Sydney office. And then a year after that, we were asked to do a competition, which the Sydney office couldn't, didn't have capacity to do. So I worked on it from the Melbourne office. And then Charles said to me, "Uh, why don't you go to Sydney and just hand it over to John? I was like, sure. I think it was like an, it was August, and it was really awful weather. I remember distinctly it was really awful weather in Melbourne, and I hadn't really flown bef- much before, like really. And I flew up to Sydney for the day; which was a bit exciting, and it was awful weather in Melbourne. I got to Sydney; and it was amazing,
0: <laughs> it was like
1: sunny and crisp and gorgeous. And I was like, it was cool but uh, sunny. Was, yeah. And Michael, I think Michael Bialy came with me, and I just remember I was standing on the rooftop of the old hospital in Surrey Hills and St. Margaret's looking out across the city and I was like, oh my God, what, am I, leaving. Doing? Yeah. what am I doing living in <laughs> Melbourne? <laughs> and so then I was commuting for a while backwards and forwards and mm. I had a house in Melbourne with friends and, and then I kind of just made, or, you know, decided <laughs> to, um, to stay. And we. Uh, lived in Elizabeth Bay, Kylie fitt and I lived in Elizabeth Bay and were moved up to do some work you know with the office and we were only meant to stay for three months or three weeks originally and then three months and then it's been 20 years 20 years yeah
0: (laughs) and so during that time in which you were handing the the project over yeah was there was it in that period that you were offered uh
1: so what happened was i um it was the the project we won the competition but we won it in joint venture so it was us and pedal thought walker ptw and so i was based actually in the ptw office for two years so i didn't even step foot really into the sydney office of sjb for ages i didn't I mean i knew john right but i didn't spend much time with him and kirsten was here and uh, wendy and um, andrew parr would come up occasionally and you know, this is and nick hatsey actually was a student in the office then he was the he was the i think he was the first employee of the office other than the directors so i was working at the ptw office which was great fine andrew frost was the director then and i learned a lot from him he was yeah, he was intense that was yeah it was kind of, there's a whole story about there about how to do joint ventures and what i learned from that but he was you know his amazing mentor in a really odd kind of way because he he wasn't the most he wasn't the warmest person i suppose you'd say he wasn't the most uh, embracing in terms of you know wanting to teach me much but he became a really good he became a really great mentor and great friend over time and then one day charles flew up uh, for a meeting because he'd come up every fortnight from meetings he came up and took me out for breakfast and offered me a partnership was like, he said would you like to become a partner and I was like uh, okay what does that mean <laughs> I had absolutely no idea yeah. about what that was um
0: yeah. So I guess part of part of what I what I like to understand is so this was a much more this was a much more Absolutely organic progression. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, given you're, you're quite like a, an extroverted person, yeah. Um, it's not. It wasn't like a like a, You had a very. There's no of, plan. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it just happened. No, there was yeah. no plan.
1: I'm not a planning kind of person. Right? I'm not like a <clears throat> sit back and think, what do I want to achieve in one year, and two years, and five years, and ten years? I've yeah. never done that. And to be honest, even if I've ever done it in my life, I've lost the piece of paper that I've written it on <laughs> six months after I've done it. So so it doesn't mean, I'm not, I'm not a big believer in plans. Actually, I'm kind of more of a big believer in, um, taking opportunities and just seeing where it goes and saying, yes, okay. say yes, see what happens. And if you don't enjoy it.
0: Well, this is actually actually quite an an interesting topic and and probably one that uh, I actually wouldn't mind talking a little more Mm. about because I I find quite a lot of comfort in Mm. structure um, just because I feel like I can get frazzled um, when I don't have a a clear path. So I guess how does that work for you in terms of you've achieved so much, obviously, Mm. but how do you do that without a plan?
1: I think that it's, I mean, look, it's different for different people. And I Mm. think I don't like plans because I feel quite controlled, I think. And Look, to a certain extent, I think I came out when I was thirty, so I was I came out quite late, and I think being in the closet, so to speak, for so long actually one furthered my career because I was I had no social life for a very long period of time, which yeah. was not by plan but by necessity, I suppose. I was too there wasn't an environment that I felt comfortable in, you know, being me at that point in time. So as a consequence, I just worked. I just worked that was that was my life kind of still is my life but that was my life really until um, I was 30 to to a certain extent I think I never really made a plan because if I made a plan I would have had to deal with the underlying issue which was I needed to kind of deal with my sexuality and come out and deal you know embrace it and deal with it and it was like coming from a small country town that was that was never going to be an easy thing mm. or in my mind at least. So I think to a certain extent I was like okay let's not plan let's just evolve let's just see how it goes uh, and that kind of that was kind of my private life but also business life like let's just see what happens like let's yeah. not add, give too much structure I I get quite I get quite bored actually when I have too much structure like I don't if I have too much structure I actually become a little bit depressed I get a little bit like oh my gosh is that really what I'm doing for the next one month two months mm-hmm. one week three months whatever it is so I quite like the spontaneity of shifting i do like rhythm though like so i like i'm actually quite a habitual person like you know going to work every day i like coming back from work i like not necessarily taking too many holidays like i quite like the static thing of living somewhere Hmm. you know knowing where you live and knowing the coffee guy and the the person you drop your dry cleaning off by name and you know like i like that so Hmm. i like the um, structure of that, but I also like a bit of chaos in my daily life where I'm never sure what's going to happen and you get to work and it could be a really amazing day and it could be a really awful day, yeah. but you never know until you get there and see what happens. And
0: you're happy to just find that out as you, uh, yeah, as you wake up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah I much prefer that. So that, that's probably my strength and my weakness. My weakness is I'm not a good planner and I don't, You know, I'm sure it annoys the bejesus out of people in the office that I'm not very structured. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the same time, I think my strength is that I can deal with anything. Pretty much if there's something going on. I can deal with it in some way i'll be like i'll sort something out yeah, you know you're quite resourceful in the Caribbean yeah, way totally yeah. i'll like i'll find i'll find a solution i'll make it happen so i think in terms of business and where where, why i ended up where i ended and ended up or where, why i'm here at sjb there was never a plan and i never even had a plan of you know owning my own practice or being a director or what i wanted to do in architecture i just knew i wanted to be an architect so there was like i could have chosen a lot of different paths But at the same time, I think I just found the path that I was interested in rather than trying to be too
0: uh, orchestrated about it. it. So finding that out, you found some happiness in in what you did and and, and that's just, I guess, carried you. Yeah, and also think that you can place too much.
1: It's not that I'm not happy, like I'm Mm. really happy doing what I'm doing, but I don't think happiness should be the goal. I think happiness is a consequence of you doing what you want to do, not Mm the ambition to do it. You're always, there are always going to be good, bad, good days and bad days, and there's always going to be things you hate doing in your job, independent of which job it is, there's always difficult things. I always think, you know, I always think of someone like Madonna, right? <laughs> As a reference point, I think, you know, everyone thinks, oh my God, she's amazing. That must be so good to be Madonna. And, but like, damn straight, she works hard. To do anything that she does is phenomenal, yeah. right? Uh, you know, the amount of training and practice and exercise, everything. And everyone thinks that like, everyone thinks that they're just successful. Like they just are what they are because they've got a good voice. Mm. It's like, no, 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 no. There's, there's a, work. There's a yeah. lot of work there. Uh, for me at least, it's a, it's kind of keeping in mind that there's no end. Like it's a continual growth and you're kind of always earning something. You're always l- learning something. And as long as you're always learning something, you're getting somewhere else. And I think for me, the most, the biggest challenge is to accept that you kind of don't know where you're going. You're just gonna keep learning and you don't really have to be t- defined about it. Mm. You can just find it is what you're interested in and keep going in that direction. And if it's not going well, well- Change it. Change it. Yeah, It's kind of works, I think. Yeah, ah.
0: well, no, it's, I mean, this, this is a, um, it it, well, it. obviously has for you uh, Yeah. and, and that's, um, I think that's also quite encouraging Mm. in that you know i think you often get beaten into um having a plan yeah Uh, and and that's kind of like a i think it's almost expected that if you're going to have some direction that you need a plan and it's actually quite it's quite encouraging to know that that might not actually have to be the case yeah you know you might have an an overarching sort of understanding of where you'd like to go but how that happens might be something more organic
1: specific or as vague as you want it to be Mm. mine was super vague it's just i want to be an architect that was it like as long as i was heading Towards doing that and designing buildings, that was all I was interested in.
0: Yeah, and the rest unfolded. The rest just sits you. underneath. that. I yeah.
1: was never a point where I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go, and, you know, study medicine yeah. or anything like this. No, 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 that's never going to happen.
0: Yeah, I'd probably characterise it in that you you were sort of um, organic in the way that it unfolded, but you were also quite opportunistic when it came about. So absolutely very definite in saying yes when uh, you could recognise an opportunity and you just go, yep, yeah, that works. Yeah, I think oh, so. Yeah. I
1: mean, I think I'm probably not as structured as you'd like to think i am i just say yes to everything which is again my my undoing it's good to say no sometimes but i'm not good at saying no i um i think a consequence of growing up gay and not being gay like being in the closet um i think a consequence of that is that you want to you try to please people all the time because you just don't want to be found out so small country town is like you just don't want to be the odd one out, so you do whatever it is you can be to be normal, to normalize yourself. So you say yes to you say yes to everything because you're like, okay, well, let's just make sure that everyone likes me, kind of thing. You know, fundamentally, uh, ingrains itself in your personality, and that tends to be who you become. So I'm a I'm a please people kind of person, which yeah. is let me see what I can do for you. Let's see how I can say yes and make other people happy is not always a good strategy because you know you need to do a bit of self-editing um an artist friend of mine said to me the other day you know it's like it's important to edit for him it's important to edit his work like the um proactive in deciding for himself what's good and what's bad and Mm. to not let the bad stuff in his mind out so that at least he starts to define a direction whereas i'm far more you know like sporadic i'm just like whatever let's make it happen and we'll find good out of out of it so that's my biggest challenge personally is to kind of uh, be a bit more controlled
0: this is the end of the first part of the episode i hope you've enjoyed listening to adam's journey so far In this next part of the episode, Adam talks about the underlying foundations that have supported the development of SJP Architects as a business, aspects like the importance of trust, having the right business partners, as well as some really interesting personal observations on business ownership and succession planning. See you soon.